Hey guys, thanks for joining us for episode eight. We have the HCAC commissioner on, Jay Jones. Yep, we're really excited about this one. Uh, I actually reached out to him last year for uh, a story I was doing for uh, Cincy Magazine and he was really helpful. So we thought, hey, let's reach out to him for the podcast. And I think we had a really good conversation. So hopefully you enjoy it. Yeah, let's just hop right into that. Uh, Jay, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks very much for having me on guys. I appreciate it very much. Yeah, so... One of the things that um, I've thought about is what does it mean to be HCAC commissioner? I feel like that's a title that has like a, a big presence to it, stature to it, but maybe people aren't as familiar with what that actually means. Uh, could you take us through kind of the responsibilities that go with that? Yeah, it's like the, um, the hardest question you get in, in my life, right, is you, what does a commissioner do? So honestly, it's also funny when you tell someone you're a commissioner, the thoughts that range in their head are pretty interesting. Is that an elected city position? I've gotten that. So is that a full-time job? And, and by that, they mean, you know, literally a city commissioner is usually not. It's an elected position that's kind of an aside. So they don't, they don't understand that, like, this is an actual job. And then you've got the jokers that think, like, oh, yes, I'm the commissioner of my fantasy football league. It must be about like that, right? So And, and then you've got everything in between. And the truth of the matter is, um, being a commissioner of a, of a small college conference, um, what I always say is, like, I, I have the same job as a, as a Power 5 commissioner minus the 85 staff members, right? Um, so there's a couple of us at our office, and uh, I'm an amazing associate commissioner that does a great job with us. But um, we do everything from overseeing the supervisors of our officials and making sure that, that games are set. Um, a day like today, which is heading into a rainy weekend, I've spent a ton of time on the phone with baseball and softball coaches talking about, you know, what are the policies with moving our games? Where can we move them? Um, what do I need to be concerned with? Um, so we do that. We set schedules. Um, we handle disciplinary issues. I dealt with a disciplinary issue this morning, looked at a tape of, of an unfortunate issue uh, during a game. So we deal with those kind of things. Um, I think the most intriguing part of the job is that I report to, uh, in our case, we have 10 schools. I report to the 10 university presidents. So I always joke and say, if things are going well, I have my own self as a boss. And, and I kind of say to the 10 presidents, what's going on? And if things are going poorly, or if one of those presidents gets sideways with another, or there's some issue, um, I have 10 different bosses and they're all very, uh, very strong in, in their leadership and how they think things should be done. So um, in truth, at the end of the day, what I, both the approach I take from a cultural standpoint and what I try to be um, as, as just kind of a leadership role is just be a servant leader. I'm, I'm here to help our 10 schools be successful in conducting their athletics um, and get as many games played as we can. And, and that's been extremely important um, during the past year of COVID. But, uh, but honestly, that's kind of how I see it is we administer contests together and uh, really kind of see our ADs more as peers. I, yes, it's a regulatory position from some time to time, but really for me, it's is working with our athletic directors and coaches to, to make sure we can have competition and that it's that's regulated fairly and that we move forward. So it can be a lot of fun. Every day is a little different. So hopefully that gives you a sense of it. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Um, at least for me, I feel like 
the title of commissioner is one you mentioned that the eighties are kind of like your peers, but for me, I feel like, you know, the commissioners is the, the big brains behind everything. Um, was that something that you've always strived for, or is that just kind of, you know, the path that kind of led you towards being commissioner? Is that something that you, you know, kind of yeah. deliberately went towards? <laughs> no, you know, the, the background for me, um, I, as a, as a student, um, as an undergrad student, I started working in athletics and I really thought I wanted to be a division one athletic director. And that was the path that I started trying to walk down. Um, and then that led me to law school, law school, working in, in college athletics means that you're going into compliance rules, compliance. I didn't know that at the time, um, <laughs> but I then did that. And, and along the way, I started working with small school athletics and just fell in love. And uh, so then I started really my career headed towards division two and division three. And the commissioner thing came after a, my first stint at the NCAA. I was actually a commissioner in Florida of the division two league. And it's funny because you talk there, Matthew, about, about, you know, seeing the athletic records as peers. I, I will be perfectly candid with you. And, and the, the people I worked with in Florida who will see this will just laugh. The first time I did this job, I was a little younger and, and a little more full of, of salt and vinegar, as they say. And uh, yeah, I, I thought it was purely regulatory or whatever. Um, I, I didn't, I, we left that job, my, my wife, uh, for her role, who she's also working in athletics, uh, we moved and I had a chance to do the commissioner job again. And I said, you know, I just, first of all, I'm older. Um, but secondly, I, it just didn't fit me, the regulatory role. So I saw it more as we're going to work together. Uh, it's more of service-based and, and just a little different cultural approach. But, uh, but yeah, they, they, to more directly answer your question, I think the commissioner thing came for me with, um, by the time I did it the first time, I had been at the NCAA, so I had been working more kind of an umbrella look, large organization, uh, working with multiple schools. So I had that more kind of governance regulatory uh, background by that point. Um, but then the other thing was now, I, I, the first time I did this, I, I had a young family. And, um, you know, you're an athletic director, you're going to be at every event, every time the doors are open, that's a lifestyle choice. And the conference office gives you the chance to lead. Um, but I have a little more control over my weekly calendar, which helps me as a, as a father. Um, and it just kind of fits well. You mentioned how you kind of took a different approach this time around um, as commissioner of this, of the HCAC. Um, are there any like goals for the league that you kind of have like long-term or it, do you think of it in that way? Like I noticed, uh, I think it was earlier last year where you guys rebranded the HCAC. So when we were athletes, it had like a different color scheme, different logo. Uh, and I think it's different this time around. Is, is there like, I don't know, like a, a vision you see for the league? Yeah. So um, I'm a, I am a little older, but I'm not dead. I'm still uh, driven as can be. And for me, um, you know, passionate about making sure our league um, advances as far as we can, I think. Um, there is some vision. I, I will tell you, this is, is crazy, you know, and, and when you guys uh, were in the league, um, good leadership, we, we had a long-term commissioner who, who absolutely bleeds for 
for the Heartland Conference. But, um, you know, I came in uh, almost two years ago exactly. And we're, we're recording this today and it, a, exactly a year and a month since the, the pandemic started. I was just starting to change a few things, give it my own stamp, start us towards some strategic planning and, and some growth. We had gotten the branding uh, almost done, like we, not almost done, but we were into that process, thank goodness, when the pandemic hits. And all of a sudden, you know, everything uh, changes and we focus purely on um, COVID. I'm just now a year later beginning to look back and say, all right, where are we going? Where is next? What COVID taught me though, and taught everyone in our league is we can be a lot more nimble. We can be a lot more flexible. And so we're at a really cool point. And I think every league is there that, that sees this and says, all right, um, now we know we can do things a little different and be successful with it. Um, where do we go? So to be honest with you all, I, I think for me, it's how do I help our schools to take that next step forward? I think um, for us as a league, uh, we, we have some great um, individual sports at individual schools here and there. How do we take all of the sports together and collectively push us forward? Um, part of that is growth in a few sports. So for instance, swimming um, right now, uh, we, we have um, six schools and, and, and Bluffton's coming on. So that's a sport that's growing. Um, so part of it is strategically growing some sports and in other, in other places, taking some sports um, that are competing maybe in the middle, middle of division three, how do we elevate those up and what can the conference do as a part of that? So. Yeah. So as a fairly new commissioner, kind of trying to come in and, you know, talk about elevating the, the conference, has it been tough to kind of put your stamp on things? I know COVID has, has made everything a little bit more difficult, but how do, how do you view that process of coming in while about making changes, but also, you know, respecting what the HCAC has been? Yeah. Um, you know, when I, when I took the role, um, I, I had been at the NCAA, uh, they have a, what's called a conference contact program, which is kind of a liaison at the national office to a, to a conference. And years ago, I was the, the liaison to the Heartland Conference. So I came in with a really healthy respect for where the league has been. It's fascinating. Where we are as a league right now is I sit in a room with, with the 10 athletic directors, and I look around that table, and it is really a veteran group. So right now, I'm soaking in as much as I can and learning all the history I can. But I'm also recognizing, and I've shared this with them, um, most of them are very close to retirement. So as we make that transition together, as the league goes through that change, how do we hold on to the things that were important? And that's kind of a historic tradition of this league, but also make the change and, and, and go into the next generation. So, um, so for me, part of my role is to bridge that gap um, for our league and to make sure that, yes, we're gonna honor the past. We're gonna honor the people who've worked hard um, by keeping some of the things that they built exactly like they are and other things um, we can we can kind of send in the future. And, and the logo and the branding is a good example of that. It needed to be refreshed and, and everyone was ready for that. And, um, you know, and there wasn't some great affinity to 
the color maroon or the old look. And so we can make that change wholesale. There's other things where we say, hey, there's a big affinity for how we do a certain thing and we'll hold on to it. So um, we've talked about COVID a little bit. And I wanted to ask, like, I feel like um, that was kind of the day in March where like the world kind of stopped, you know, the NBA shut down. Like every, I feel like as a commissioner, that must be just like, not a, an enviable, enviable position to be in just because like, how do you handle all those schools and everything that go along with that? How did your job change from like February, 2020 to like April, 2020? Yeah. Um, great question. So I was just having this conversation today. If, if, if I'm really candid with you um, and with anybody out there, we were terrified. Um, small colleges around the country and small college athletic programs you, you, the first thing you realize is we are absolutely um, something that people love. We want to do this. It's, it, we're passionate about it. Yes, there's coaches that it's their livelihood, but we're non-essential. And that's the thing that hits you first is this terrified, like, okay, what happens now? Pretty immediately, one of our schools dropped a couple of sports now, that was a move that was probably like two years down the line anyway. But COVID initially in that first couple of months, everyone kind of referred to it as great accelerator. And that's really what happened. As we got into it, um, what, you, what we quickly learned was twofold. There was no greater opportunity ever for leadership. Um, you know, and if you, if you could... If you could weather that fear and if you could step forward and lead, um, everybody would come with you. And, and collectively, we were going to be more together than ever. And I think the second thing was um, our students needed to play. They wanted to desperately just let us get out there. Um, and they were hungry for that. And I, um, because a couple of our schools dropped a couple of sports right away, what hit me was as a leader, um, people's jobs depend on this, um, but also students who, who came to a school for the, yes, I came here to get an education at this university, but in particular, the coach brought me to this university. How do we make sure that we keep things going uh, for those individuals? Here's the, here's the break that I had that not, not as many people had. I was still fairly new. So I joke and say, you know, as a commissioner, um, as time goes on, I mean, I made a decision this morning that one of our ADs wasn't thrilled about, right? And that happens, and that's a part of it. Now, this particular decision this morning wasn't something that we won't get past, but as time goes, you know, you, you take some bruises in this position that is the best way to say it. I didn't have any of that. I was still absolutely in my honeymoon phase. And the relationships that we built because we were all rowing the boat together um, were just phenomenal and have helped us get through the year. So I had some advantages being new that I, that I didn't, you know, I realized pretty quick, hey, I don't have negative history with anybody. And right now that's going to serve us really well. So it, it's been an amazing ride. The fear goes, you know, the fear went away. Probably you ask uh, the perfect way, no, what was that first two months like? mortified right but then but then you kind of strapped on your boots and said all right we're still here everybody's still wanting to go forward now how do we do that how do we how do we successfully do that so 
Yeah, so I think oftentimes we look at COVID in a, in a negative light and obviously it is a big impact and devastating to a lot of industries. But you did mention the ability that it, it had to bring people together. Are there any other advantages that you've seen from COVID that you can take moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I just this morning was working with our basketball coaches on a schedule and what one of them said, and it's so right, is, look, um, let's put this out the, there this way, but if we need to adjust it, we've proven this year we can adjust that very quickly later. And I think um, conference leadership for small college athletics has always been seen that you have to have everything answered really far in advance. Everyone in athletics, for the most part, um, coaches, commissioners, ADs, all of us are pretty type A people. Um, that's just who we are. You know, we're, we're coaching young people and, and it's just who we are. We're driven, we're type A, everything's got to be answered for, everything has to be organized. Um, COVID has taught us all that you, you can be more nimble than that. You can change things late. You can make better decisions. And honestly, it forced us to be creative on some things that I know we will keep um, and so this isn't the way I wanted to learn that lesson, um, <laughs> but it, we did, right? It happened. And I think that's the attitude you have to take is all right. We, we did learn some things and we'll, we'll not lose those lessons anytime real soon. So, um, back last year I was, and I still am, but I, I was freelancing for Cincy magazine and, uh, I was looking for story ideas and that was tough because, you know, there were no sports. And so I thought to, you know, how conferences are reacting to COVID and things like that. And I reached out to you and, and it kind of asked you about, you know, what your plans were for the spring season. And I, I don't even know if they were quite finalized then, but you basically, <laughs> you, you declared, like you were basically talking about how um, fall probably wasn't gonna happen the same way and that you might need to push uh, sports through the spring. And then now a lot of sports were in the spring. Um, can you take me kind of through that process and what that was like? Yeah, I, so um, the, the first question we, we had to figure out, so, so you kind of lost last spring, everything happened so quick, and you're in the middle of it, right, March 13th, it's, and basically, um, immediate trickle down from the Rudy Gobert thing, and then by a week later, basically, everyone is, is kind of shutting things down, like there was no, how do we do this, it was shutting down. And um, we, we as a group, you know, um, I started meeting with our presidents really regularly at that point and our athletic directors and, and faculty uh, reps and everybody fairly regularly. And we didn't want to be first. We, we at that point said, it's okay to not lead all the other 40, there's 44 total leagues in division three. We'll let the 43 others you know, we don't have to be last. We need to make a decision at some point, but let's let's hang tight for a second and not be the first to say we're canceling everything. Um, it became inevitable in the spring that everything was going to be canceled. Then you move forward. And I think it's fascinating because one of the things my associate commissioner and I said um, was they hired us to organize and conduct sports. And so I say to our presidents, you hired me to conduct sports. That's all 
but I know my job is. And so I am going to figure out how we can do things until you tell me that we can't do this. Um, or until I hit a moral wall. There were points early where you didn't know if playing sports was going to put our athletes in a much more dangerous position. It became obvious the science kept coming and kept coming that the games themselves weren't problematic. It, it was the team bus travel, the team meals. I mean, we science was helpful and the NCAA having all the resources and the divisional and science and all that was very helpful. So I had those two things until our presidents tell me no, or until I morally don't think we should be playing sports at any time, we're going to push forward. And we were ready to go with a few of our fall sports. We, we did not think we could play football last fall. Um, we did not think we could play soccer, um, but we thought we could easily safely run cross country. We could safely play uh, women's tennis, women's golf. We were thinking about moving our men's tennis and golf to the fall for a minute. Um, we thought we could safely play those sports. And then the NCAA came and said, don't try any of that in the fall. Well, we, we had all the plans together to do it. Um, so then the question became, do you play your fall sports later in the spring? And ultimately, um, to our AD's credit, to our president's credit, to everyone's credit, they said, it's going to be exhausting. But all of those students want to play those sports. So what we've done is to take what we normally do in 10 months in our 20 sports that we normally do in 10 months time, and we compacted that into about five and a half months. And um, we're almost, at the time we're filming this, we're almost done with all of our fall sports that we've now played in the spring. Uh, we finished out all of our winter stuff, and we're almost to what would be a normal spring here for the last bit. So um, that's kind of the progression we went through. And really, like I said, it was tell me when to stop. And our presidents kept saying, we'll support you. We'll spend the money for the testing. We'll, we'll adhere to what regulations the NCAA tells us we have to do. And, and you tell us if it gets dangerous. And so we just worked together really well like that. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, that, that's, that's pretty awesome. That's quite a, quite a feat to pull off, to pull off all those sports in the spring. I, I, I won't congratulate you yet. I don't want to jinx it. There's still some time. Yeah, thank you. Um, uh, um, so you mentioned the, the impact of sports on the, on the student athletes. Obviously, sports have played a big impact in your life. How, how did a young Jay Jones get involved in sports and, and why is it so meaningful to you? Yeah. Um, so uh, let me try to quickly. So I'm a talker. So you asked me uh, the time I'm going to tell you how to build a watch, right? But, um, so I'll be, I'll, I'll try my best to, to make this as succinct as possible. Um, first of all, with sports, um, I was a kid just based on my age, right? Um, I grew up in a time where you could and were encouraged to play anything you wanted. And so I was the, um, the, the sixth man, the first off the bench, the, the very last starter. I mean, I was a, a mediocre, nothing special athlete that played every single sport that you could find. I remember going to the park um, as a kid and, and playing soccer and then literally going with we played American Youth Soccer, AYSO. So if there's any older folks watching, they had a with double-sided jerseys, which were fantastic because you could wear the blue side or you were the white side. And uh, so, you know, you literally take them off and put them on. What color are we today? So, 
Um, anyway, that's an aside. Um, so, but I remember going to the park and playing AYSO soccer, and then you go over to the tennis courts and you play tennis. And my mom and dad just dropped me off, right? It was, and so then they were going to pick me up later. Um, but that was sports for me growing up. In addition to that, my father, um, my father, to his credit, realized the way we could connect and bond was going to events. So he took me everywhere. I mean, um, we lived about three and a half hours away from Atlanta. We had Atlanta Falcon season tickets. That was so dad could get me in the car as a teenager. It was his smart, he's smart guy. He, he gets me in the car as a teenager and drives me down and back, right? And that's like six hours with his son that otherwise I probably wouldn't have given him. Um, but like we went to all these events and that was pretty special. So I had all this as a background, just loved sport. Um, played sports in high school. Uh, did not play. I was not a college athlete. I mean, I, that was not something that, I mean, maybe, uh, maybe I could have played tennis in college, but not, probably not actually. And um, so I get to college, I'm in engineering. And frankly, the, the story goes very quickly like this. I went to the University of Tennessee. I was in computer engineering. And at that time, so we're talking uh, mid-90s, sorry, mid-90s. At that time, the best computers on campus were in the athletic study lab, right? There's no doubt. So I start, I go over there. I've got a friend that lives in that dorm. So I kind of weasel my way into this, this computer lab to do computer programming is how I got into athletics. And I'm in this lab and... Um, you know, I was there because they had the fast computers and I'm not really supposed to be there, right? Like I'm definitely not an athlete. These aren't the computers for the general student population. And at the end of the day, um, at that time, I mean, it was a classmate with Peyton Manning. Uh, we just had amazing athletes, right? Um, around Tennessee at that time, they were really on top of the world. And I'm in this, this lab, I'm not enjoying engineering. It doesn't fit my personality. And I'm watching these athletes and there was always uh, the person that ran the athletic study lab, her name was Judy Jackson and uh, Miss Judy that, that we all call her. And she allowed me to stay there if I could keep their printers up and running and keep the, the machines going for them so that they didn't have to call IT. That's good, good bargain for me. What I watched though that she didn't know I was watching is the relationship she had with these student athletes and kind of always working with athletes. And at that point, I didn't know, do I want to be a player agent? Do I want to, um, do I, you know, what do I want to do? I didn't know, but I knew the impact she was having on these college student athletes, that's what I wanted. And uh, I, I go over, now this is something for the young, young people watching. When you're going to change your major from computer engineering to sport management, and you're, I, I, I guess I was 19 at the time. I'm, I'm a sophomore in college. This is not something you go and ask your parents their permission for, right? And I know this. And especially like, don't tell your parents, don't tell your grandparents, like get all your ducks in a row, figure it all out. Get the heck out of the engineering classes, get your schedule set and then say, oh, by the way, I found what I'm passionate about. Here's what I did. So, so that's exactly what I did. Like, and, and credits transfer, right? Um, so, but I literally dropped all my engineering classes, signed up for sport management. I was passionate about it. I loved it. 
Um, I was in love with what I was going to do. And that was something that um, my parents, when I tell them, I think they're going to trip out, right? But they could see and feel the, the love for it. And they, they were so supportive and still are. And um, it was just that time where you, you realize that's the, that's the decision point. And uh, that's kind of how it happened. And, and that's the whole backstory. But uh, it's been a, a career that, that I've not had a day where I've regretted that decision ever. So, Yeah, I feel like the, the passion for something like that is what's most important. I, I know a lot of people who, you know, go to college or and for one thing and end up doing something else. Are there any other yeah. skills that you think are really important or necessary uh, or maybe education required for your kind of career path or something similar to what you want to do? No, you know, I, I, there's, that's one thing that it's really hard for the young people looking to work in athletics. It, I always joke in comparison to like, if you, if you're going to be uh, an accountant, right, you get your CPAs, you go through a couple of years, you do your level ones, you do go a couple more years, you do level two, like there's this set path that you walk. And that would have been the case as a state in engineering, like do this, then do step B, then do step C. In athletics, everybody you would talk to has walked a totally different path, both from a, from a career standpoint and work, but also educationally. And so there's not any one direction I would tell you to go. I think there's two pieces of advice that I got that I always say to young people in the business. And the first was, um, start walking towards a big goal and the and it'll start to define itself as it goes so for me that was um that was i want to be a division one athletic director so i went to the athletic director at the university of tennessee and, and by that time i was working in the athletic department and i said educationally what's next and he recommended law school and he told me why and it made good sense and so that was my next step because I wanted to be where he was. So that's my first piece of advice is, is get your pie in the sky, ridiculous idea. And for me, that was, I'm going to be the athletic director at the university of Tennessee and then figure out how do you start walking towards that? Now they wouldn't hire me now and I wouldn't fit that role for all, you know, at all. That's not what my career became. But it did help me to initially start down a path that led me to find even something I was more passionate about. So that's one thing. And the other thing in college athletics, you're still working in higher education. You are still working uh, in a leadership role with college students. So at some point, you've at least got to get a master's or you'll essentially grade out of a position at some point. You're going to be on campus and at some point they're going to say, hey, we've got to have somebody that has at least a master's degree, maybe a, a professional or doctorate degree. But um, so those are the two things I always say in college athletics, that second one's uh, more needed and the pros, you, you, you know, your, your education, you, you may or may not need a master's degree, but you won't necessarily grade out of a position, so to speak. So I have to ask Tennessee, you were there at the same time as Peyton Manning. Is there yeah. a bump into him story? Is, did you meet him? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Let's see. I, I mean, there's there's a few different stories. Um, we were college students, so there's one really funny one that I that I will not tell here. Um, <laughs> and uh, but I was working in that department. He was just. I mean, the thing about Peyton and and this is in no way to demean him. I I think 
what you have to understand is the person you see, he, he's very, very genuine, but like he, his role is he's a fantastic football player because that's what he lives and breathes. Like that's the guy, like they're nothing, you know, it, 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 I would not have gone to him for my homework. And that does not, again, not to demean him. He wasn't, he, he's not at all dumb. Um, so I'm talking this uh, to this group of, of elderly folks one day. I work at the NCAA, and they find out I went to school with Peyton. So I'm talking to them, and, and I say something about, listen, and like kid, you know, fellow student, but he just lived in free football. So anything I had to say to him or that he had to say to me was about football. Um, and this lady comes up after, and you know, she's an 80-year-old lady, however old, and she says, you make him sound stupid. He graduated with honors. And I said, well, first of all, he's not stupid. But secondly, if I could play football like that, I would have graduated with honors at Tennessee too. So, um, <laughs> so, so I mean, uh, you know, honesty, I, you know, there are stories, but I will say um, he wanted to be a normal college student. The coolest thing about him as a classmate was you could, in between classes, um, anybody that was in school with him, had a bump into him moment because he, what he didn't want and what he would not do is sign an autograph for a fellow student or, or, you know, any of those kind of things. We weren't, um, cell phones weren't, um, something that proliferated everywhere. So, so I can't imagine he would be able to be who he was if he went to college now because of all the selfies and things and videos and blah, blah, blah. But, in between classes, he was always in the quad. He was just he was just another student, and that's what he wanted. And if you treated him different, he really irked him. And uh, and, and everybody kind of knew that, respected that. It was cool. Um, so yeah, I have nothing bad to say about the guy at all. But I will say, like he he was a football robot. Like that's who he is. But man, I mean, it's hard to hard to argue that he should have been right. But uh, but that's kind of. A, a little bit of insight there. Uh, I also read, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you teach adjunct professor at IUPUI. Yeah, yeah. I I hope I teach them something. So yeah, <laughs> I I teach uh, I teach sports law, and and uh, this is in no way to say. I mean, I I absolutely love serving as commissioner, but you know that passion that you heard talk about, and hopefully. I mean, it's still there. I, you know, 19 years old to, to now, um, I still have that passion. But what I've realized the older I get, my passion is working with college students. Um, and, and, uh, and yes, sport is what I do and sports, what the resume says and sports kind of how I've built those relationships. But for me, that teaching that I do on the side, and I usually have one or two classes a semester. Um, but just that close connection with students and interacting with college students and talking to them and trying to help them in their early careers, um, that just drives me and I absolutely love it. Um, yeah, so, so I, do, I do teach, um, and like I say, sports law, I'm very, um, very pragmatic about it, right? Like we don't study a lot of Supreme Court cases. We talk about things like uh, I just signed a new volleyball contract for the league. That's the kind of stuff I'm going to bring into the classroom and say, this is what you'll actually do in your jobs out there. Uh, so I kind of take that approach. So. That's awesome. Um, so we talked a while ago, I guess now about, you know, gr the growth of the, of the conference. 
is esports something that you guys have considered or or will consider? Yeah. Um, so we have not talked about it, but again, I, I think my timeline is so skewed, um, you guys, because uh, I had been getting ready to really start strategically looking at the things we needed to do when when COVID hits. So we didn't, we, we were just at a point where, where I think would have absolutely been a part of the dialogue. And I look at some of the division three conferences that have embraced eSport and eSports, and it's been really big for them um, in a number of ways. And I think, um, you know, I, I, um, for me, it, it's kind of like what I said about, um, about COVID. If our presidents came to me and said, we want you to manage our club Quidditch tournaments, then I'd do that. And, and I'd put everything I could into it. And um, there is club Quidditch out there. I don't think many of the HCAC schools have it. Uh, IUPUI does. Um, but, but ultimately with esports, the difference in that and in, in, in club Quidditch is esports is growing. I mean, it's there, like it's not going away. It's not going to get any smaller. It's only going to get bigger and bigger. And, and I do look, and, and at this point, uh, most all of our HCAC schools either have it or are starting to add it. Um, it the tough thing about esports is that um, it's definitely obviously not a stick and ball sport, um, but a lot of conferences get are taking over the administration because you're still organizing tournaments, you're still organizing, you know, still have practice regulations. So there's a lot of similarity with stick and ball sports, um, but then obviously it's it's a different thing as well. Um, but I'm open to it. I, I think it it really is. Would that help our ten schools to grow? Um, or would it not? And there's pros and cons to handling it as a collegiate sport through the intercollegiate athletic department. And, um, you know, so, so we'll see where that goes. I don't personally sit around and, and say, gosh, we've got to do that. We've got to do this, but I'm also, also not averse to it. Um, so, so I really can't say where we're going with that. Um, but I guarantee you, it'll be a conversation. Um, just a couple more questions and we'll get you out of here. But uh, I, I was curious if there was one piece of advice maybe that you would give your younger self if you could, if you were able to do that about your career or personal life or really anything like that. Yeah. Um, gosh, just one, huh? No, thanks. Um, <laughs> yeah, as many as you like. There's, there's an awful lot, right? Like a lot um, <laughs> that, that you would look back and say, hey, hey, man. Um, I, I think the biggest thing is like, um, I can be so wound tight, like just absolutely a ball of nerves and a nervous wreck. And, and, um, and honestly, like when I'm having fun, when I'm laughing, when I'm relaxed, um, I'm a lot more enjoyable, enjoyable to be around, but I also that side of my personality is a better leader. And so not only am I having more fun, but everyone around me is having more fun too. So that's the big thing is just chill out. You know, I think that's the, the two word piece of advice I would give young me is like, hey, chill out. Like, like uh, you know, don't take life so seriously. Sometimes it will, you know, use the skills you've got, use, use the friends you've got and the, and the relationships and, and you'll work it out. So 
Um, yeah, there's a lot of advice I'd give younger me, but but that's uh, that's one of them. And and I would also make sure that my younger self was in the exact same place and met the exact same woman. My wife, phenomenal. I'm, I'm blessed with my marriage, and and we have two kids. And that part, the personal side of my life, um, gosh, I I wouldn't redo a step of it. And so law school led to tons of student debt. Also met my wife there, right? So I always look back and people say, do you regret that? And I, I wish we didn't have the debt that we got, but um, yeah. So so there's things I would do different, but I also um, I've been a pretty lucky guy. And then if there was one sporting event you could go back to in history ever, uh, which would it be? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so my dad and I, I, I uh, probably just the one that I would do again, just because it was so amazing um, and so surreal because of how it unfolded and what happened. But so Peyton graduates in 98 because I, I was supposed to as well, but because I had changed major from engineering to sport management, I'm, I'm on the five-year plan at that point, right? Like <laughs> you're not graduating in four years, you lost all your credits, right? So I'm on a five-year plan. Well, the interesting thing at Tennessee was we won the national championship in football the year after Peyton graduated. And so all those guys on the team were, um, were seniors with me or a lot of them. Um, I was working in athletics. Um, we got tickets to the national championship game. And my dad and I went, and not only just because it was one of those things where um, – he was a lifelong Tennessee fan. He had always taken me to events everywhere. So there was no question if I could get tickets, would I take, who could, who would I take? Would I go with my buddies and hang out and party? Would I go? No, you know, it was going to be dad and I. And I would love to, uh, my dad's still alive. Um, he's not able to go, he's not able to get around as much or as well, but um, just to do that again. And, and it's still, I have a picture of us in front of the scoreboard after the game. It's still for me, the memory of like, um, you know, we've not Tennessee. Say we Tennessee's not close to the national title since then, and I don't know when, if ever, it will come back. Um, but at the end of the day, it was just a cool event with Dad, and I'd go do it again, over and over. So I've been doing, a, I've been to some amazing sports events, um, and I enjoy them. But it's the personal memories at those, and that's what I would say to anybody out there. Like, yeah, the outcomes are fun. The event just kind of soaking in is fun, but. Um, go with the people you love or, or go with your friends and create those memories. And, and I, I enjoy that a lot. Yeah, I, I think that's all we've got for you. We really appreciate you taking time out of your uh, busy schedule here with all the spring sports going on to uh, talk to, talk to us today. Yeah. Well, I have to tell you all something. I, I, um, I have a weakness. Like I won't say no to student athletes or former student athletes, so I'm really proud of what you guys are trying to do. Um, it's a lot of fun. I, both of you um, are kind of working in our business now, and I really uh, wish the best for both of you, and I'll help you in whatever way I can, um, even though we barely know each other. But uh, like I said, you found my weakness. Noah, Noah emails and says, will you do this? And like, <laughs> yes, sure. When do you want me to do it? Um, so, and I'm kind of that way with with any of the, any of the athletes. So, uh, so like I said, that's, that 
that connection with students or or those of you who are young and getting cranked up um, really love to do it so it's been a pleasure to be here really appreciate the invite thanks thanks so much we really appreciate it absolutely thanks guys Hey guys, thanks for joining us for this episode. As there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, it will be a home run. And so that'll make it a 4-0 ball game. Um, don't forget, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Don't forget to like, subscribe, follow, and comment down below. Thanks, guys. Hey guys, thanks for joining us for episode 8. We have the special guest, Jay Jidget. Hey guys, thanks for joining us for episode 8. We have again. I think I... I think I'm in that one. Hey guys, thanks for joining us. <laughs> hey guys, thanks for joining us for episode eight. We have Jay Jones, the HCAC. HCAC.